Celebrating success, learning from legends, and growing poppies. This is Tall Poppy Talk with Grace Lewis. Kia ora and welcome to Tall Poppy Talk. Today we have Kelly Christ, and as the saying goes, she has many feathers to her bow, including being an NCAA Division I coach, an advocate, a leader, a scholar, and an athlete. Kelly is currently an assistant coach with the University of Alabama's rowing crew, Prior to this role and where our paths crossed, Kelly successfully guided the Rutgers University Women's Program to its first ever conference title in the Big Ten Championship, which, might I add, getting to watch was literally goosebumps. The best. She was head coach in 2022 for the U.S. Rowing High Performance Camp, coached at the U.S. Rowing Olympic Development Camp in 2019 and 2021, and has a wealth of experience in coaching novice masters and college rowers whether that's in Orlando Florida or all over the states she has consistently produced NCAA division one and U.S. national team athletes earned a bachelor's degree in early childhood education a master's in exceptional education a PhD in education and also graduated from Brooklyn Law School (laughs) she is an advocate having spent her life serving children's and families volunteering and working directly in classrooms and she is passionate about making positive changes for the families whose children have special needs. As an athlete, Kelly competed at the University of Tennessee and was a part of the first nationally ranked and NCAA championship appearance. During her college career, she was also an academic All-SCC honoree multiple times and was named a CRCA National Scholar Athlete. Kelly, is someone fortunate enough to know you and have gotten to have appreciated all your endless ambition and support directly? I understand that out of all those accomplishments I've just listed, being a sister, a daughter, and a friend are your most treasured. So welcome to Tall Poppy Talk. Thank you. Very first question. Excited to be here. I think first question is where and how are you today? Uh, where am I? I'm in Tuscaloosa, Alabama at my house. Um, I'm great. Yeah, this is my piano room. I just got a piano. I play the piano also. Um, I just, I just got a piano. It's 100 years old and I got it for free from a couple who was moving away. So um, this is now my like happy room that I do my pianoing in. Also a dog and cat mom as well you've got dog and cat mom animal that's lover. very important yeah I'm I'm also teaching now at Alabama so I'm coaching here and I'm teaching a class like an online class one per semester so yeah well and teaching's not new to you right you've done no yeah it's I'm teaching in the special education department so I'm teaching a class called working with families um, of children with special needs so it's like right up my alley which is I love it as I mentioned before we really got started was I was introduced to you purely as rowing and the credentials there are are enough to have kept anyone busy for a long time. And then I remember people saying, oh, Kelly like has her PhD. And I was like, wait, what? And then as I'm researching more, it's just like constantly on the move, doing something, just adding to your bow. So kind of big first question is what is your why and what has steered you through all these decisions of things to pursue? 
making the world kind of a better place by helping the next generation in whatever way. And I think that that's kind of, um, that's common to both like working with kids, working with future teachers, working with rowers. I feel really strongly about like the impact that I can potentially have on younger people and like, you know, being a person for them that I needed when I was that age, whether it be when I was a five-year-old or when I was a college kid or whatever it is. Um, I feel really strongly about just like mentoring the next generation. So I think that's kind of the why that kind of has has kind of pushed me my whole my whole life. Not at all surprised, obviously. And to take a step back, during this introduction, I mentioned Florida, Alabama, New Jersey. If you could try, please paint the picture of like, yeah, where, where did you grow up and kind of your journey professionally and personally? How has that looked? Yeah. Um, I grew up in Orlando, Florida. My mom was born there in the 50s before there was Disney or anything. So we're our, like, my mom's side of the family is pretty, like, small town southern Florida people, um, which is rare in Florida these days, but... <laughs> And I grew up there and then I, um, I found rowing in high school. I had failed at every other sport that I had tried. Um, and so I just tried rowing just on a whim, like most of us do. And I fell in love with it. So I ended up going to college at university of Tennessee. Um, I wanted to kind of like stay semi close to home, but I wanted like a big football school. Um, I love Southern football school, so it's cool to still be at one. And yeah, so that's how I ended up at Tennessee. Um, my mom's sister was a special education teacher and I was very close to her my whole life. She also was a piano player and she taught me how to read um, when I was little. So like I, she was a, a mentor to me a lot and an inspiration to me. And so that's kind of how I got into working with kids with special needs because she was so passionate about it. And she adopted two kids with, with very special needs um, who are now like in their thirties. One has Down syndrome, the other has cerebral palsy and autism and some medical things going on. Um, and so growing up with like those boys, like in, you know, kind of a crucial age for me, like in middle schools when she adopted them, that's all I knew. And that's what I wanted to do. So that's what I majored in at Tennessee. Um, when I finished my four years there rowing and in school, I ended up coming back to Orlando. I was a teacher for a few years. Um, I got my master's while I was teaching. Then I decided I wanted to go to law school. Um, I originally kind of thought I would work as like a special education attorney or something along those lines, but I decided to go to New York City um, because I, I didn't know if I'd have another opportunity to kind of move there. Um, and I'd always been like in the South and it just sounded so exciting and different for me. So yeah, the huge change of pace for those three years of law school. But then I kind of thought maybe I wanted to get into like trial advocacy and uh, working at the district attorney's office, like being a prosecutor. So I did a lot of internships doing that. And, but then when I finished law school, I didn't have a job, like a full-time lawyer job yet. Um, the economy was really bad that year. So a lot of us graduated <laughs> without jobs. And so I got into fitness. Um, I got into coaching rowing like once a week. I was just kind of like working odd jobs here and there. And then I realized I didn't really want to use my law degree. So so I, I got back into special education and went back for my PhD. And while I was getting my PhD, um, I realized how much I loved working with college age students because I was teaching classes. And then I was also coaching in the afternoons. I was coaching a high school team there. And then that's kind of when it all kind of came together. I was like, I want to do something in like... Like I want my two worlds to be together, like fitness, coaching, special needs, all of that kind of stuff. And here, here we are. I, I decided to kind of go the NCAA route because 
I was working like four jobs and, you know, from 5 a.m. teaching fitness classes and coaching until 7 p.m. every day. And it was just too much. And so for like kind of a quality of life thing, as I as I get older, I thought having one job that I could really focus on would be awesome. And that's when I decided to kind of try to get into coaching at the division one level. And now, now here we are. And now here you are and you didn't just make an entry, you made like a BAM, which I love. And as I mentioned, I got to appreciate. And I recall when you started, it was so refreshing because like Kelly came in just with this, like, this is fun and this is exciting. And honestly, at that point, when you get maybe to the college level, you're a little bit jaded. It had been COVID. It had been these things and it had become, oh, this is my job. It's a great job, but this right now feels like the biggest thing in my world. Yeah. And you were just reminded us like, there is more. There is more. There there is more. So in your role, you have coached novices, masters, college. I'm really curious what the differences are in terms of like external factors that impact the athletes. How, I guess, have you noticed those changes between the, not the problems, but the, the extra stuff surrounding your athletes when they're in those different stages? Totally. That's a great question. So yeah, like novice rowers um, in high school or middle school, my job with them is to make it fun and to make them not only love rowing, not to make them, but like encourage them to love rowing, but also love teammates, like love being with a team, love working for other people, you know, love working with other people to, to have them fall in love with fitness in general. And like knowing what like working hard is at like a basic fitness level and like, Hey, I can do this. This is awesome. I love working out, you know, like that was kind of my focus with the, with the novice groups um, when I was able to coach them and hopefully they, they learned something and or, <laughs> Some of my novices are now like 25 years old and it's like really weird Uh, and married. One just got married this past year. So, you know, hopefully some of those like kind of just life, you know, just having gratitude for the things that we get to do as rowers. That was kind of most the the biggest focus with novices. And, you know, outside factors then is like, you know, their family. What's home like? Like, are are their parents encouraging them to to do this? Are they forcing them to do this? Are are their parents fit and healthy or are they not? And this is hard for them to, it's going to be hard for them moving forward to like keep up with it, you know? High school, like at a, a, you know, I coached like older high school girls as well. And that's a super fun group because you, you, really get to know them really well. Uh, Not as well as the college girls though. But yeah, I think those external factors are like, you know, junior year of high school is usually like really hard academically, you know, and, and they're at school all day, like 7am in Florida until like two something, and then they come to practice. So they literally like don't go home all day. And so that's, that's a kind of a tricky thing. Masters rowers. I mean, a lot of them, they're, they're a funny group. They're all different. Every single one is different. Um, some have, you know, I'd say the, the biggest thing is like whether their body type, their mobility level, their just general like genetics is a like allows them to row in the way yeah. that they want to. Some of them want to get really good. And then I'm like, well, you've spent 45 years like super inflexible. So this might be hard. So that's always tricky. But college uh, coaching collegiate young women is, is my favorite for sure. Um, and they, I don't know you, you, not you anymore, but you, you know, <laughs> you're so new to it or so new to being out of it. But, um, 
the the pressures I think are that college athletes feel are really high. Um, and especially at a school where athletics is uh, like here, I mean, athletics is, is everything, you know, not everything, like they're getting a great education too, but people but. really care about sports, here, you know, um, and they, so they've got this pressure on them as students, you know, rowers tend to be really strong students too. And to, they want to be great at school, you know, so, so that's tricky. They're homesick. Our freshmen come in and they're super homesick because they're from all over the country. So managing that, managing, you know, like, I think some like mental health stuff doesn't show up until you're in your 18 to 22 range, you know, yep. and so sometimes like that's a new thing that shows up in their lives and like helping them manage that when they're away from their parents. And so I think that being a collegiate female athlete is, is really tricky. And there are a lot of, there are a ton of outside factors that impact what they're doing on the water in the erg room in the weight room. And I think my job is as a coaches to kind of know what those things are so I can help them the most yeah the different factors because as an athlete going through it much like you did yet when you're probably in high school there's even the practicalities of like how do I get to practice like how am I yeah you need parents to drive or there's funding there's this and then yes so you have this whole like you said the rowing's one huge part of your life and then the special education's another and I'm at that stage in my life where I'm like, oh, I have all these different things I want to do, but they're kind of conflicting. Yeah. And you were able to bring all those things together. In regards to your day, as you approach it, like how are there priorities? Are there things that do sometimes need to be the top of the to-do list? How do you manage that? Because yeah. they're all so important to you. Yeah, it's it's really tricky. And I'm I'm very like my planner is is right at my side all the time. I color code the different areas of my life. Um, so like I make a to-do list every day and it's got like my personal things. So like, okay, I need to get toilet paper tonight or whatever, you know, write yeah. that down or like a recruit call that's that's light pink, but like admin stuff for work is dark pink. It, it is tricky to figure out priorities, you know, and right now, um, my priority is definitely the team and being at our practices, our training sessions, um, that is, that's first and foremost, like the first thing I need to make sure I'm doing and being ready for those, whether that's like, you know, one of my jobs is like preparing the the Google sheet that we use to track their progress on the ERG, creating the seating chart for, you know, where they're sitting in the ERG room and all that kind of stuff. So making sure all that stuff is like ready and like solid and like double, triple check. Of course, there are sometimes mistakes. So I think those things take precedent. I think recruiting stuff comes next. That's a huge part of my job. So making sure that I'm making time to uh, either check in with recruits, look for new recruits, continue to build relationships, um, continue to talk to like girls who committed to us back in November, like make sure I'm still checking in on them, you know, because they're still not here yet. So there's, we're still building a relationship. Though I think those two things are probably the biggest, the biggest priorities. The, the class that I'm teaching, unfortunately, comes last because, <laughs> sorry <laughs> if any of my students uh, ever see this, because I, it's, it's a writing intensive course and it's online. So I just need to, I can do it like from my couch at night or like on the weekend while I'm like watching football or something, you know? And so, um, that usually happens in whatever extra time I have. Teaching. I'm trying to think like there's teaching and there's coaching. Like I have a job, which is traditionally nine to six. And when I'm done, I'm done. And I can shut my laptop and I'm good. But yes. teaching's famously one of those 
provisions that's not the case it comes oh. home with you coaching especially rowing you're up at an absurd hour to be ready for practice at 5 30 and yes. then you're there till late and you're having these recruiting calls is there such a thing do you feel like in in your field of work-life balance or is it really just the same so yeah that's a really good question too so that that's something that's important to me because i i forgot to add like my family is always my priority you know what yeah. i mean like over practice over whatever like i'm missing a couple days next week because my sister's getting married and so i'm going to florida for the weekend and i know it's gonna be really fun um so you know, family is always the priority and it, it is hard to have work-life balance, but I see myself as somebody who like, I, I don't have good boundaries with people. So whether it be now the athletes I coach, like the, the families that I used to work with, like I do get really close with people and some people see that as a fault, but I see it as like, that's how I'm making my impact. And, and they're making an impact on me too. Cause I yeah. think relationships are everything in, in what I do. And so for me, if on Christmas Eve an athlete, and I'm with my, my family at home in Florida, an athlete is calling me to say, I need help with this, I'm going to answer it because I genuinely love what I do that much. You know what I mean? And so to me, like, yeah, work-life balance, um, it is tricky, um, but I don't think I would do well in a job that I did finish at a designated time. You know what I mean? Yes, very much so, because that's where I'm at, like, I love what I'm doing outside of work. I enjoy what I'm doing inside of work. Yeah. But it's like, oh, you spend so much of your life working. I really like this narrative you've painted of like, they are merged and that's who I am. And I'm unapologetic about it. Yeah, they are. And, and, you know, I think like the, the work environment I'm in now, um, my boss is really great about prioritizing family and stuff. And so that is really helpful. And I think he knows and trusts like, you know, tonight I'm going to pick up a recruit at the airport, which is an hour away because down south, it's things are a little <laughs> further from each other. Um, so that'll be a couple hours this evening that I'm like with a recruit, you know what I mean? So I'm kind of like taking the time now to like do my laundry and like be on this because I'm not going to have my evening. And I, you know, and so I feel like having, having a work environment where that's like accepted and like, okay, I, I trust that Kelly's going to do everything she needs to do. Like I'll never leave something undone or unfinished or whatever. Um, but I do sometimes need that flexibility so that I'm able to kind of have that balance, you know? Yes. And as you're saying that my mind's jumping to the words of like high performer, cause that's what you are. And high performance is often associated with athletics, but the more I'm talking to people, like the other, the episode that came out this week was Jen Keeney, who's a Broadway, she's on Chicago and she's a high performer, but that's entirely different from rowing so this definition really changes depending on what realm you're in how would you describe high performance so when I think about high performance something I say to the girls a lot on the team is like the way you do one thing is the way you do everything and so I want to coach young women to be great at everything they do and that doesn't mean like put these insane expectations on yourself that you have to be the literally the best of everything, <laughs> but to do things really well and to get, you know, if you're doing something to do it with, with all your heart, you know, like whatever that quote is, my dad used to always say it to me. It was like, whatever you are, be a good one. So like, if you're <laughs> the janitor, be the best janitor you can. If you're the president of the United States, be the best one you can. I think that that comes with like 
like when I think of integrity, like, yeah, I think of like doing the right thing when nobody's looking, you know, that's what we generally think of. But I also think of like having integrity with yourself and being like, to you, I'm the same person, like I'm the same coach to you that I am to the team now that I was to the team before. And then the person I am as a coach is the same person I am as a student, as a sister, as a daughter, as a, you know what I mean? And so to me, that's kind of what integrity is. And that's what high performance is too. Um, so it's not necessarily like, you know, being the best at everything you do, but it's like having integrity with who you are and, and the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. So like, if you are, you know, if you want to be a great rower, like, I don't want people who say, like, when I'm trying to recruit, I don't want somebody who's like, I don't really care about school. All I care about is rowing. And I want to be really good. I'm like, well, then you're not going to be a good rower. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, I feel like the people, the best, the most high performing people want to be good at everything they're doing. And they want to give their all to everything they're doing or learn how to, you know, and so and that doesn't mean perfection. So it's 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 a fine line for sure. But that's what I think of when I think of high performance. I agree. I even think for me, I'm not and wasn't the best rower in the sense of the fastest. Or I I hate the erg. I always have. I'm, I'm no good at it. You know that. You've seen it. You're great at it, Grace. <laughs> Thank you. And realizing pretty quickly, especially when I came to the States, was like, okay, so your thing, Grace, isn't going to be being the fastest because there's a good 30 people smashing that ahead of you. And that's okay. And not to feel threatened by that, but like, well, to your point of integrity, what's something that I can hold true, whether it's 5am and I'm exhausted or it's me at the best at the start of a start line or if I'm in the classroom, it's kind of that old cliche of like, you have to be yourself because it's, everyone else is already taken yes essentially and yeah. you you get so exhausted if you're going to try and pretend to be someone else in a certain realm because you can't keep that up totally. um, and so I could just sing your praises but I'll ask another question the podcast centers around this kind of idea of in New Zealand it's called tall poppy syndrome yeah and the gist of that is your success is a threat to mine. There's a poppy field. And as soon as one person starts to kind of go up, we like chop them back down, like stay humble. And I've noticed in the States that people are pretty good at being proud of themselves and advocating for each other and for themselves. And that sense of let's bring them down doesn't happen as much. Um, it's still there. Other synonyms are imposter syndrome or like bullying internally, externally. The things we say to ourselves are sometimes way more often significantly worse than what externally occurs yeah. so as an individual yourself but also someone who is so central and a bit of a pillar in other people's lives what are your observations and I guess definition of imposter syndrome whether that's internally or externally and how you see it yeah so First of all, I've been meaning to tell you this. I was on the on a uh, Zoom a couple months ago with an Australian recruit, and she said <laughs> something about tall poppy syndrome, and I was like, "Grace, look, I thought the podcast." <laughs> and then I've been meaning to tell you this. So anyway, I'll, I'll tell you now. Um, That's so cool, thank you. Yeah, it was so cool because I was like, "This is awesome." I know what this is because I've been like following your, you know, your podcast. So um, yeah, I didn't know what imposter syndrome was until I was like a couple of years into my PhD. And then all of a sudden I was like, I, I was feeling like I wasn't 
worthy of earning the PhD. I was like, I haven't done enough to for people to call me doctor. Like what? This is my dissertation sucks. You know, like I had all these things. And then I heard of imposter syndrome. I'm like, that's what I have. Oh my gosh. Like, because ever, nobody else in my life would have said you didn't actually earn your PhD. <laughs> but I tell myself that I still tell myself that. And, and like you said, the words that you use to yourself are worse. They mean more than what pe other people say to you, but they do often stem from the things that other people have said to you at one time in your life. But yeah, I think imposter syndrome is like, and and I see it a lot in in athletes, in Division One athletes. I think it's it's very common among the the women who are drawn to to sports. But like that, we just don't think we're we're good enough to do X, Y, or Z. You know, like I'm not good enough to be the best rower on the team. I'm not good enough to get straight A's. You know, and and so constantly like second guessing yourself, even when other people think the world of you and see and are so confident in your abilities, and you are not. You know. And so you, you kind of feel like you are just playing the role, but you're not actually there doing the things, you know, like other people who are doing this are better than I am at it. I'm just like, I guess, I don't know why they hired me, but here I am, you know, it's crazy how, how prominent that is. I think in the, in the young women that I get to work with. Alabama is a top tier athletic school. So to get there and to be D1, you've had to be pretty successful and not even just like subjective like objectively you've won things or you've got certain speeds so yeah. you suddenly have accumulated a group of women who know to some degree that they're pretty good right and is that a difference from yeah you know, like your high school to even like Rutgers to Alabama that confidence people possess do you see that in some of the maybe more um yeah, more high performing ones are, are the ones yeah. who, who back themselves. You know, it's funny because I totally do. Um, high schoolers, you can tell them they're good and they're like, oh, yeah, okay, cool, I got this, you know. But then once they've been good for a little bit, that's when they start second guessing themselves. Once they get to college and they're around other, you know, because in high school, there's maybe two or three of them that are like, really good you know and then the rest are you know average or below average or just there for fun um but it, once you get to college everybody's there for the same reasons and yeah I think you know at Alabama because like our football team has won more national championships than anybody else and a ton of SEC champ and all this stuff and it's like all of our all of our sports but three have won our conference um and we are one of them we're one of the three and so it's like our sports teams here consistently perform at a really high level and i think that sometimes our athletes get intimidated by that even though they were recruited at the same level as say the you know the women's track and field team or the men's golf team you know trying to not use uh football always because there, there are tons of athletes here who are awesome in addition to football but um you know, I think that they are intimidated by that sometimes. And then they start to second guess themselves. And even if they've come in as a really high performing high school athlete, they don't progress in the way that we see that we, we think that they should based on the training and based on their age and all of that kind of stuff. And I think we've kind of, as a staff, we've been kind of diving in this, this year to our own kind of self-limiting beliefs. Um, and we've been doing that with like our team leaders, our leadership team of the of the team, there's five girls hearing from them that they do doubt themselves so much, you know, and they're like scared of going, of doing any more because they don't think they'll actually 
improve or whatever it is. And so um, I think it's really common around here. At Rutgers, I think it was a little bit different. I mean, you girls were super gritty. You may not realize it, um, but I think because Rutgers is just kind of like, it's the Jersey State School, you know what I mean? And it's like, it's not in like some campus, uh, campus here is beautiful. We have the nicest of everything. Not that Rutgers campus is not beautiful, don't get me wrong, but it has an edge to it, right? Yes, <laughs> that's a beautiful way of putting it. I, yes, I loved it. Don't get me wrong, I, I, I loved my time there. And I think that the girls there are drawn to it because it's got a little bit of the edge to it. You know what I mean? And so it's kind of the the underdog thing happens there just as a product of like what the university is. You know what I mean? And so so it's different. So I don't see as much of that self-doubt there that I do here. So it's, it's interesting. So it makes sense that Alabama has this huge uh, reputation surrounding it regarding athletics. Whereas, yeah, Rutgers, I mean, we're, we're getting there, but you don't go to Rutgers because it's a top athletic skill. You go right. there for a plethora of reasons, athletics being part of it. So to have that different expectation totally. and then the imposter syndrome and that because your identity is associated with, I'm supposed to be an Alabama athlete. Yeah. That's not, I, I had that with uh, with Ryan is in New Zealand, I was Grace who who rode and then you come to the states and you're the New Zealander who rose right and that thing that used to be like 10% of my identity is now like 95% of totally (laughs) (laughs) and then I'm like oh and if you're not in the fastest boats you're like oh well what am I doing and that's when I made the decision of like well you need to be better at some other things yeah (laughs) kind of rearrange that percentage of identity so by the time I left school and things that you'd said like when I was done with college, I was ready. My identity wasn't tied to it. I was like, I'm good. Yes. Let's you, move you were, on. You were so ready, you know, and not that you weren't like loving every minute of rowing, but it was like, you were one of those people who I was like, she's going to be a great adult <laughs> in, a, in, in a month. Not that you weren't an adult then, but like, you know, you could tell that like you had developed the skills, you know what I mean? And like, and became aware of the things that you were good at outside of rowing so that you would be successful, you know? Oh. Thank you. I did yeah. start work two days after NCAAs. Crazy. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I can have no downtime. You would appreciate that. It's like, I actually don't want to think too much. Uh, let's keep it moving. Yeah, let's just start a job. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, I have so many questions for you, obviously. Something that I really admired and I mentioned in the beginning, like, whoa, Kelly's a doctor and that went around the boat house. Like, what? why are we not calling her doctor? Like, why is that not happening? Because you have this like very energetic personality, you care, you have ambition. Being like a woman in leadership positions, like to be frank, do you feel like sometimes that's been like an obstacle to get through and be taken seriously sometimes? Yes, like big time. Um, I think when I was growing up, like part of where my imposter syndrome comes from is like, um, boys, and this is so dumb that these things stick with you, but they do. Boys said like really mean things to me when I was in like middle school and high school and called me an airhead and told me I was dumb. And because I do have this energetic personality and I smile a lot and I'm, you know, bubbly and talkative and whatever. And I think that that part of my personality, it has often during my life been perceived as, oh, Kelly's like 
just some whatever flake. Sometimes it's been hard to be taken seriously or to be taken as, you know, because I'm also like in the erg room, I'm like dancing around doing something stupid <laughs> because I just like love to make people smile, you know, and to I love to make people feel comfortable and they're doing that if they're laughing, you know, they're, they're comfortable if they're laughing and smiling. And so, yeah, I think that sometimes the, the male coach, I don't know, like the stereotype of like the tough male coach that is seen as like the smarter, more with it person, as opposed to the like warm, energetic, fun, loving female, you know? And so, yeah, I think that that it's something that I've definitely hundred percent dealt with a lot in my life. And, um, and just in terms of like not being taken seriously and it's taken me, I would say until the past couple of years to like stand up for it. You know, like if somebody says something to me now, like if a male says something to me now that I am offended by or whatever, I don't mind calling them out on it in the moment now, but it's taken my whole life. So I've internalized that my whole life, like that I'm not as smart or I'm not good enough for things. And then that's where the imposter syndrome comes in, you know? Absolutely. And not wanting to make other people feel uncomfortable by calling them out. But it sounds like now, yeah, because you are someone, especially in working with young women, like you're a role model. And so for you to be like, oh, I'm okay to call that out. And they don't need to be in the room, but just to have that presence. And you know that the next generation is witnessing that and going like, oh, actually, yeah, I can be feminine and make jokes, but also be serious and intelligent. Those are not two uh, isolated personality traits. That can all be the same thing. And you can be extremely successful doing that. Totally. And I, I... I've always kind of said, like, I'm I'm not married and don't have kids yet, but I will at some point. Um, and I want to be somebody who's like achieving big things and, you know, respected and all of that while having a family and being fun and being feminine, like you said, you know, and so um, I think those things are really important for for young women and girls to see that they can just be whoever they want. And it's like, you can still be who you want to be and be who you are while you're like accomplishing big goals. You know what I mean? Definitely. And I imagine same as you, same as you with your uh, rowing teammates from Tennessee. It's like my, I'm very fortunate to have very good friends in different areas and the rowing ones are the ones who have seen me at my worst. At your worst. They know everything about you. Good, bad, (laughs) ugly. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're tired, you're physically tired, uh, you're emotionally tired a lot of the times, but then when you have the wins, they're also seeing that. So I think a really fortunate experience for me, and I'm sure other people get it in whatever community they develop, is, yeah, I've, you you know, Tanisha, Femka, they've seen the highs and the lows, and we yeah. are stronger for it. Totally. And yeah. you start to realize, like, oh, people are not defined by one personality trait or one moment, and that's what you've done and you've done it across education and athletics and off that the work you do in special education is so kind of like fundamental life stuff right so you go from these two worlds where it's I'm just helping someone function and actually be advocated for and have a basic experience and then you go to this athletic thing where we're talking milliseconds of numbers it's very elite that contrast some you know it's like what's important in life and then super high performance pursuits is that something that grounds you do you think being working in the special education which 
then impacts how you approach athletics which sometimes feels like the biggest thing in the world but then on the other hand you're working with just trying to help people no it it totally grounds me and I think like my my life in special education has totally like informed who I am as a coach you know and you know to me I almost feel like as weird as it sounds they're kind of the same thing because whether I'm teaching a kid like when I worked with preschoolers some of them I had to teach how to how to use a fork, right? That requires somebody teaching them who like believes in them and encourages them and can tell them when they got it right or when they're doing it wrong, but say it in a way that they still believe in themselves. Um, And that's the exact same thing I do, coaching somebody to, you know, pull a really big erg or whatever it is, you know? And so it's, it's funny to me how similar they are and how similar my interactions are with like, the girls on the team here as they were with like kids that I used to teach or families I worked with. Also working in special education gave me a huge sense of just like gratitude for like Mm -hmm. my skills and abilities and my family and all of that kind of stuff. And a sense of like different is okay, no matter what, you know? And so I've kind of taken that with me too. So like, I don't look at any girl on the team because they're, they look different. Like honestly, all of our girls on this team look very similar. very similar physical attributes. Um, But if somebody does look different or act different, I'm, I think, I hope and pray that my athletes don't think that I'm going to be the one judging them for anything. I feel like they know that they can tell me anything and I will not judge and I will try to help, you know? And I think that those things come from feeling like with the students I taught, like the parents would often feel judged because they had a child who had massive behavioral issues when they took them in public. And so giving them like kind of a safe space to to share what they wanted to work on and then me helping them like takes a level, level of vulnerability at that level, mm-hmm. just like it takes a level of vulnerability coaching collegiate high-performing athletes. And terms of advocacy how would you describe being an advocate for you and then maybe if people listening are like oh I don't think I do that so what is an advocate and how can people be better advocates for themselves or for others or both 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 so I'm a way better advocate for others than I am for myself first of all I think most of us are in some way and I I mean I'll fight for anybody and say the hard things on behalf of somebody else before I will for myself. Something I'm working on, right? We're always working on stuff. But I think advocating just means like knowing what someone is kind of either struggling with or needs, knowing what somebody needs or what you need and and being, feeling secure enough in that moment to like share what that thing is. I think teaching those, teaching people how to advocate for themselves at whatever level is it's common. It's a common thing. People don't know how to advocate for themselves, whether it's my, my sixth grade nephew right now, who doesn't really know, like he's got some behavioral challenges and things like that. And he's, he's never really sure, like, should I talk to the teacher about that or should I not, you know? And so I've noticed recently, like we need to help him with his advocacy skills or like being an attorney and fighting on behalf of your client. Like that's obviously like an extreme example, but like in college, you know, college athletes might need to to advocate for themselves when they're feeling, feeling bad or something, you know what I mean? Whatever it is, or like, Hey, can I have an extension on this test? Like just knowing what you need and being able to ask for that. And I think that comes from a place of like knowing yourself well enough and like knowing what's going to help you kind of 
kind of next. I what I resonated with is yeah, when you said it's easier to advocate for other people because you're also a little less kind of biased with yourself with other people than yourself, right? Like if it's me and I want to advocate for an extension, you might be like, well, Grace, you did watch two episodes of blah blah totally. blah last night. Like <laughs> you could have found the time. You're right. more willing to give grace to other people than to yourself. To- always, yes, <laughs> which That's exactly ties- it. Yeah, to that tall poppy. And that's why I love having these conversations of like, they're extremely successful people like yourself who are doing these crazy things and they still feel that sense of uh, imposter syndrome or tall poppy. And then the other part of having this conversation with you is just like, you have created this niche for yourself where to your point, you've brought all these important things in your life, even geographically where you are, being closer to Florida was important to you. So you've made that happen while still being at an NCAA D1 school and teaching. So being a part of that special education, you've morphed all those important things together. I just wanted to see if there's anything I didn't ask that you feel like, oh, that would have been good or any sort of thoughts you have after having this conversation gosh anything you didn't ask I can't really think of anything um like that but yeah I think I think it's it's helpful for I mean because the majority of the time I'm talking to to young women um it's it's helpful to know like somebody else has gone through what what you're going through whatever it is and I think not being afraid to build relationships where you can learn that about other people I think that that it's just really helpful to to talk to somebody who's been in your shoes or is in your shoes and like when my dad passed away a couple of years ago like it, it sucked but it was so helpful when a couple of friends who had also lost their dads at a younger age were like I'm there with you like I it sucked somebody said it's a we're in the same club. It's a shitty club to be in. Sorry, I didn't mean to say a bad word. Um, but um, but like we're in it, you know? And so then you start to recognize like, oh yeah, she's got this going on too. You know what I mean? And so having that kind of like commonality with people, like that's just really powerful. It really helps us grow and 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 all of that. So the presence you bring from him, just knowing you and the stories you share. I think often when someone passes away, there's this need to feel like we can't talk about it. And don't don't bring them up whereas you would share these stories and there he's a huge part of my life and I want people to know the impact he's had so yes. he clearly is proud of you and you're proud yeah. of him and that's just undeniable in the way you live your life so yeah I yeah, love it, that. It, that whole that whole time in my life like and Grace you were the first person I think that I met you and Mahaffey, uh, the first, the first girls that I met on the team. And it was right after I had gotten back from like his funeral and all of that. And so it was just, it was important to me to be able to, to talk about it. You know what I mean? And, and then it got to the point where like some of the girls were like, I want to hear a story about your dad, you know? (laughs) And that just like made my heart like so happy because I got to like keep sharing him, you know? So hopefully if whenever any of you guys lose your dad, you know, you'll be like, oh yeah, Kelly went through this. I don't know. Hopefully it helps you one day in the future in some, in some weird way, you know? Yeah. I, our paths cross for, in the scheme of life, pretty briefly, but such a profound impact. And a funny story I will share before the sign-off question is I remember there was one day, so it was very cold in New Jersey, and somehow or another, you fell into the water. Um, oh my God. <laughs> I still tell this story. <laughs> you you fell into the water, which really, it happens very rarely. And people were like, oh my gosh, Kelly fell into the water, like whisper, whisper. And you just stood in the middle of everyone and said, you can laugh. It's funny. 
Because I was like, they all these girls are looking at me like wanting to laugh, but like also is like, is Kelly okay? Because it's freezing and dirty in that water, you know? But yes, I I I wanted you guys to know you could laugh. That I think was so pivotal of just humor for the rest of us because we were like, this, yeah, this leader for us is just saying, hey, I'm in on it. We can all laugh. It's okay. It's totally. <laughs> it, it was hilarious and then you were back and you were fine but just honestly so when I think of you Kelly that's not the first thing but that's <laughs> that's up that I'm so glad no every time I'm getting out of my launch now if like the dock is like kind of slippery um I'm extra careful because yes I have been there before when I fell right in yes. <laughs> you're not the first and you will not be the last especially yeah. on that dock okay sign off question if you had to have just one meal for the rest of your life breakfast lunch and dinner what is it gonna be oh my gosh I'm I'm gonna go with my first instinct which is cereal uh probably like like a bad cereal like Lucky Charms or something with a banana it would be either that or pizza but like I have a cereal problem so um I'm gonna go with that endorse that and I love eating things out of bowls I don't know why I love things out of bowls too <laughs> if I have to cut it with a fork I'm like can, can I just put this in a bowl and like use a spoon thanks yeah oh wow Kelly thank you so much as I mentioned you're coaching at Alabama you're teaching at Alabama you're just creating this literal like path of positivity behind you oh and- thank you Cannot wait to see what is next for you as you continue to go on. And just thank you for being on this podcast, Tall Poppy Talk. And I've taken so much away from it. And I really believe listeners will too. So thank thank you. you. Thank you for inviting me. It was so good to to see your face. Thank you so much for listening to Tall Poppy Talk. We'll see you next time. Feel free to check us out on socials, YouTube, and the website. Thanks for today's guest. And we'll see you all next time. Take care.